I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so I've been doing lots of fun interviews, so I've dug back in the in the time machine to go back in the past, uh, and I'm talking today with Brian Hacker. Hey, how's it going, Mark? How are you? Good to be here. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody to start with, which is, how did you get into magic? Um, yeah, how I got into magic was kind of odd. There was a... Uh, there's like a uh, virtual world, which is like this uh, mech fighting game, and uh, it was it was uh, it was right next to a game store. And I used to play this mech fighting game once in a while. And I would walk by the game store, and I saw like all these people playing this game, and um, just kind of didn't think anything of it. And uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, really liked card games, and so. I like put two and two together and I was like, oh, well, you know, hey, why don't I go see what this card game is? She might like it. So kind of popped in and, oh, it's something called Magic the Gathering. I was like, what? What, what, what is it? Magic? You know, are you doing tricks or something? And just didn't understand it at all. But I uh, bought some cards and like taught, um, taught both of us how to, how to play. And then um, I just got very into it um, and uh, like kind of ruined it for her and uh, got way too competitive about it, started going to, um, uh, you know, little tournaments around town. And then, um, yeah, and then she, she, uh, she broke up with me kind of because of it, because, and so I lost the girlfriend, but I gained uh, a great thing in my life. So it was, it was kind of funny. Okay. So when was this, when did you start playing? What, 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 like, what was your first set? My first set was, uh, I suppose it was like revised slash fallen empires was out. Okay. Um, and I think actually, like revised had sold out at the time it was waiting on another reprint or more cards to come in so like the only thing i could buy at the time was fallen empire or uh, yeah fallen empires i think is that what it's called uh, yeah, there's like uh, fallen empires i don't know if yeah. revised and fallen empires is that right i'm trying to think of the timing is that's right okay but you can only buy fallen yeah. empires yeah and so it was weird because you know i i wanted to buy cards that so was like and buy packs and that was kind of exciting but that step was kind of known for being weak, um, at least in that type one environment. So I kind of didn't really know what to do. You know, I was like, I'd gotten into it, but I just was like hungry to find cards and it was kind of an adventure finding them back then. Didn't have mm -hmm. like the internet, you know, things like that to be able to easily find, easily find places to buy more, um, buy more packs. Yeah, it's funny. I tell stories uh, on, on my podcast a lot about how in the early days, like right now, it's like if I, if I want to play magic, there's not an obstacle, which is you have to find the cards. Right. Yeah. And yeah, like back in yeah. the day, it's sort of like I want to play. It's like, oh, now I have to. First task is go find magic cards. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to me to even imagine how, even in like my pro tour days, um, yeah, even just finding cards or, you know, I, it, it, you, you would, it was still like a big deal. Like you still had to, um, you know, if you had like a couple decks, you actually had to have the cards or had to know somebody that had the cards. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I never had like a massive, you know, some of my friends like now they'll have like these collections, you know, um, but I, I never, I never really did. I was kind of like poor at the time. And so <laughs> it was always having the cards for my deck. So it was kind of uh, a big thing. So let's, let's jump back. So you're playing competitively at local stores. So, yeah. um, so the pro tour gets announced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so this was basically, um, Back in uh, Orange County, which I think um, at, at, right around this time, right sort of the start of the Pro Tour, right before the Pro Tour, and certainly right after, um, well, I think Orange County, the Women's Club, San Diego Women's or, or, uh, Orange County Women's Club was like... Costa, Ma was Costa Mesa Women's Club. Costa Mesa Women's Club, yes. that's what it was. 
And I, I was a regular there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like that was sort of I think like magic mecca for um for a, a little while there where you had people coming as far north um from like Santa Barbara that would come in like you know, Joe Lunger or Brian Weissman. You had people from LA, obviously tons of great players from LA, the Orange County people, and then from San Diego, you know, an hour and a half south you'd have people coming. So it just grabbed everyone in Southern California. And, um, you know, even though the prizes weren't great, the, the competition was incredible. And so it was, uh, it was, it was, um, a really great time, you know, to, to be part of that. And that's kind of, um, what really got me into it was the competition and the camaraderie. Wait, of, can you stop that. me one second? I want, before we move on, I just want to talk about Costa Mesa Women's Center for a second. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it has a place in sort of magic history and I just want to give a little scope to it. Cause I don't know a lot of people, understand so in la at the time um and costa mesa is about i don't know 45 minutes south of la maybe um uh scott larrabee and several others um they rented out it literally was the costa mesa's women's center i think is what it was called and it was it was a place where you could rent it out and have weddings or have whatever you wanted and they every Saturday night they rented for for years and years and years they rented it out and it was like the in the early days of Magic the in the LA larger area the place to be. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back then we would have. I, I mean, this is bef- uh, before like you when you could play qualifiers as a pro. Um, we would have four slot qualifiers where the ninth place person. Or tenth place person would sometimes make make it to the pro tour. They wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't even make the top eight, and they would qualify because so many people had already qualified that were playing those tournaments. They were really, really great, great training, like amazing tournaments back then. It's definitely the height. And and then um, a little while after that, Truck and I kind of organized a Wednesday. We say Truck, on, Truck, uh, Truck. Who? I mean, Truck I know. Bowie. Yeah, Truck Bowie. Yeah, he he was uh, another like he was a teammate of mine, great player. And he and I would sort of organize this Wednesday event, um, also in Costa Mesa. And that was more like just draft and more kind of informal. But we would often get, you know, 16, 24, 32 people all playing drafts, very, very high level competition. And that's kind of why I think we had a leg up on drafting for a little while. And like, you know, maybe the first like two years of the Pro Tour, I'd say there was like, you know, a lot of people from Southern California did really well in limited, um, just because, uh, you know, that, that experience playing. Yeah. So a little, another context, I, I feel like today's a lot of history lessons. Today. Yeah, sure. Um, we wizards introduced drafting because we thought it was very fun. Um, and right now drafting is people draft all the time, but in the early days, there was a lot of resistance to doing it. Like that's, when we first introduced um, just limited in general, playing sealed, playing draft, the audience was kind of like, ah, I don't, especially draft. Like, draft took a while. Like, there's a period where Europe just they didn't run drafts at all in their, in their organized play system. And in, even in the U.S., local people, like stores, eh, I'm just going to run constructive stuff. I'm not going to run limited stuff. And yeah. one of the things that, yeah, you kind of made a name for yourself in the early days of... LA especially, like, there are people that said, we're going to draft and we're going to get good at it. And the differential in the early days between the people that knew what they were doing and didn't at the Pro Tour was huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that brings me to the first Pro ever played, which was the uh, second Pro Tour ever, I believe, which was uh, on the Queen Mary. Yeah. And and at that time, 
even though there was a draft somewhat it was a growing draft culture but not it still hadn't really taken off as its own thing people were still only playing constructed in terms and things like that um at that tournament i didn't i had no idea what i was doing i was terrible i was like absolutely atrocious mm -hmm. at a draft compared to like how you know good i would get and 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 i was also atrocious in a way that probably some of your listeners now like younger ones can't even fathom because like the, the, at that time, there was no. Um, it, was, it was actually tech to to be able to think of like I'm drafting a deck. I'm drafting towards a particular deck, and and X card might be better than Y card in the abstract. But in this case, in this you know in the deck that I'm going to draft, Y card would be better than X. And so like and that actually um, was I think at Pro Tour three, which I believe was like Columbus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it was. I was, I actually, uh, Sean Hammer Regnier, who was like the first person who won the, the, the Pro Tour, right? Um, he, well, he, won the, he, was, he won the second Pro Tour. He's the first to win a limited, he first to win a limited Pro Tour. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, first to win a limited event. And he, um, and I remember kind of seeking him out. And we just like started talking and, um, and I watched him play somebody in like a one on one draft, um, or it might have been two on two. And I remember just watching and I was so, so amazed because, it it was like learning going from you know not like you first get into college and you take and you take like a one on one biology course and it just blows your mind that like oh that's how that works because it was i watched him taking like you know these like 07 walls and like and like weird control cards that just were you know i thought were bad but then at the end of it it was like he had a deck and the deck was good even if the cards that he sometimes were drafting into it weren't as good as other cards in the abstract but in in and and that that became tech and that and then that you know obviously went on from there with like what you know truck and and john and i and and some of the other la people were able to figure out but that john, was like john john you by the way just john you yeah. yeah and that was that was a big thing to actually figure out like oh we're drafting towards something we're not just taking a bunch of cards yeah one of the things that it's hard to some to, for modern people like because magic is like, this is the twenty seventh year, I believe of magic. Like so many things are a known thing that when you learn how to play or you learn how to draft, there's just basics that are taught for you the moment you learn how to do it. But what people don't realize is in the beginning, no one knew that. Someone had to figure that out. Um, yeah. And yeah, a lot of the early deck tech was like, for example, the level one strategy of a draft is just take the best card, right? That's the level one strategy. It's like, oh, yeah. this is the best card of the pack. I'll take the best card. Or maybe I take the best card in my color or whatever. Um, yeah. And what you're saying is, kind of the next level you learn is, oh, I'm I want to make the best deck I can make, and this card might be worse than the other card, but it's better in my deck, and so mm -hmm. it's the best choice because it'll make a better deck overall. And that right. that had to be learned. That was not something that like, I mean, one of the things that's fun talking with you is you were one of the. I mean, there are many many early pioneers, but you were one of the real early pioneers on the pro tour of saying, look. This is how draft, this is how really draft works. And I think a lot of your successes, right, was from understanding this before a lot of people understood the nature of really what, what was drafting. Yeah, and, and I think um, a lot of that actually was, um, like, some of these things, like, really, Truck Bowie was, like, very, very instrumental, and I feel like figuring out, he would not necessarily, he would be more intuitive. So you couldn't actually pick Truck's brain that well about it, because I'd go, why did you take that over this? Why did you take this over that? And you'd have some explanation that wasn't, it didn't make sense to me and it didn't, it actually didn't make sense. But what he able to figure out intuitively was 
he would basically, it was the first person I saw that figured out what is the best deck even possible in this right. draft. Oh, it's black-red, and it kind of looks like this, and has creatures like this. And he would reverse it and go, well, if I force my you know, my opponents to deal with the fact that I'm going to take that, what happens psychologically, and how do you, right. how do you, you know, what cards are going to be cards that people are, are going to want, you know, to, that would, that would, that would fight you for. And so, yeah. it, like, he would force these situations where, like, he'd go, okay, I'm drafting this as the best, the best deck. And then, because he was able to figure that out, and I was often drafting against him, um, I then kind of was forced to figure out, well, okay, well, what's the counter to this strategy? Okay, well, if you if you take like the maybe with the second best deck that beats the best deck, you mm. often are in an even better spot, you know. And, yeah. then, and then we we were and then you know from there we had a good enough amount of people and um, in Southern California that were pros to be able to you know work on like you know have drafts that were at that level at that time, which may sound crazy because that's probably like a very it's still pretty rudimentary level now, but at the time it was huge and. Um, and it was enough to like you know, land you in top eights and stuff if you're able to think at that level. Yeah, it, it, a lot of the fun for me of going back to the early Pro Tour is that, I mean, both the Pro Tour was trying to figure out what the Pro Tour was and the players were, were sort of, like, this is the first time, the Pro Tour was the first time we got the best minds of magic from across the globe and brought them all together, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was fun. So, talk about walking on the boat. So, um we all our, all our pro tours in Los Angeles in the early days were on the Queen Mary, which was a literal cruise ship that was do like permanently docked. That was like a hotel. Um, so talk about like walking in a pro tour for the first time. What was that like? It was honestly kind of intimidating, um, weirdly, because I I had uh, I don't know. It just I never played in a tournament that had like what, what two hundred fifty people. And there are all these people from all over the world, and and. At first, I was a little intimidated because it was just it was just kind of overwhelming. Like I, I I didn't feel intimidated in terms of like the people I played against in, in our in our you know at the Costa Mesa Women's Club because and even though some of them had like finished in the top eight I think in New York and stuff and I just kind of thought you know I can beat that guy but I just thought wow there's so many people and but then you just kind of settle in and when you actually play and it just becomes just another tournament in that sense like. You just got to beat the person in front of you. You just, you know, you got to do your thing. And then I kind of like the jitters and stuff went away. But it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was very exciting though. Um, and then the idea of like, especially as a young man, when you when you think, oh, you know, uh, there's prize money here, and and you know, hey, if I might not have to get a job, you know, <laughs> if this goes well, and uh, uh, which is very tantalizing um, always. And so, um, yeah, it was it was the it was great it was great competition. But I wasn't I wasn't as close with other people as I would be. Um, so at that, you know, so some of the friendships that came, you know, from future pro tours would be the things that also stuck out to me. Like obviously my friendships with, um, with truck and John, you truck, we and John, you and, and, and like uh, some of the guys in the East coast and different things like, and, and the cool part, you know, there when you're able to see the same people, um, over and over again and how they, you know, that be, they become like someone significant in your life. So that was that was something that would come later. But at first, it was mainly just like just kind of jitters and and uh, being a little bit um, intimidated by the by the just sheer size of the, the tournament itself. How many great players were? How did you finish at your first pro tour? Um, I missed the cut. Um, it was kind of uh, weird. I think the way the cut worked, it was like games one, and uh, I think. 
this might be the only time I've, I've actually ever cheated in an event was uh, there was, I, I, I played uh, uh, Bertrand Lestray and we, and it was like, we were, we, I think we had, you had to like win out. And so basically we were like, he just kind of like looked at me and, and, and when it was like, well, if, if, you know, whoever wins this, you know, whoever wins, uh, you know, the two, two of three should win three of three, right. Or something like that. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. And, yeah, sure. And I kind of thought would, you know, I understood what he meant. He beat me two to one, but I, I gave him three zero. So that was my that was my one time cheating. Is I actually gave him a, a game result that wasn't totally fair. Um, but yeah, it was like so. I think I missed the 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 cut there, um, and uh, and then just kind of like uh, that was yeah that was the end of it. So the first part is a little bit of trivia for everybody. The first limited pro tour was actually not a booster draft. It was a, what we called a Rochester draft which is uh, another way to draft that uh, we've since... We don't really do much anymore. Um, you, you lay all the cards out and pick them. It's, it's a different animal. It's not, they're not in your hand. Um, okay, yeah. so the next... Uh, so next Pro Tour, you went to Columbus. So what, mm-hmm. what's the first Pro Tour you did well at? What's, what's, what's your first... That was Dallas, which was... Um, I mean, Columbus, I made top 64... And then Dallas was... Uh, well, then there was, was Worlds next. that you wouldn't have been invited to, right? And then was Atlanta. Did you play Atlanta? Yeah, it was kind of weird because... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I played Atlanta. And then um, Dallas was your first top yeah. eight? And, yeah, Atlanta, I, I finished... Um, I think I did better there, maybe top 32. And, I, and then I was off to... Yeah, Dallas was where the first time I kind of, like, just, like felt like that was probably the first time weirdly I felt like I had an advantage on the field. Um, I was playing just a very fast uh, black like necropotence deck. It wasn't even necropotence. It was basically just like black meanings. But it was um, for the metagame that would be pretty strong because people weren't expecting to go as fast as it was. And so um, I kind of raced out to the number one seed and then and then made the, made the top eight pretty easily. It was kind of weird because I think in those days it was... Um, I think it was almost like a two day event or something. I think we just played like just, or, or it was, I don't, I feel like I, I didn't, I didn't have to win that many rounds to then make the top eight. It was like nine, one and one, nine, nine, yeah. oh, and two or something like that. Uh, some intentional drawing, like, um, but I, I don't remember exactly how it went, but yeah, I made the top eight. And then I, uh, I played Olorade in the top eight, which was very fun because he had won previously. And, um, in Columbus. Was, yeah. Yeah. In Columbus. And he was, like, um, yeah, he was obviously a great player and it was fun to beat him. And it was really, that was a very strange thing because we were like sequestered in this room. And, uh, um, I remember that like he played, uh, a card that I was like winning the game, but he played a card and it kind of made him, it switched into like, he was now winning. And I remember I heard because it was on closed circuit TV, all of a sudden I heard this roar of people going, Oh, and even though we were like sequestered, you could hear it through the walls. Yeah. And then I don't think they were showing hands. And so then when I played my card, it switched it back to my to me winning. And it, I don't remember it was like bomb bomb. And and when I played that, I heard everyone go, Oh <laughs> so it was like, Oh, I guess it's weird to be like actually I mean, you know, I'm used to just like a couple people watching my games, you know. And yeah. it was like, you know, hearing a crowd roar was pretty wild. Uh okay, so you beat Ule. Um Right. And then I played Paul McCabe, who ended up winning, and I right. actually just got man screwed in in every game. So that was kind of unfortunate. But I was I was running what would be now in uh, if you were playing 
like now I think would be like probably, you know, one or two fewer lands than I should have been. Um, and, and, you know, it kind of caught up with me there. Whereas it been, I probably had gotten lucky the other direction previously. Um, what format was that? Was Dallas? That, that was, it was basically a type two constructed, I guess. So stand, um, a type two is standard, what we would not call standard. Standard. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm so out of it. I don't even I know. know well, the, yeah. Back in the days for the, the, the audience, um, magic used to be just have one format, which was play all the cards. And then we introduced yep. a format, which was just the last two years worth of cards. Um, and at the time we called it type one and type two. We were, we were very good at naming back in the day. Uh, and so type two is what we now call standard and type one is what we now call vintage. Um, but, uh, so some, some of the old timers will, if, if you ever hear someone say type one or type two, that's what they're referring to. And then type yeah. 1.5 was what, what extended was called for a little while. And extended right. is a format we're not, that doesn't, isn't played anymore. So a lot of history lessons today. So, um, okay. So you do well in Dallas. Um, yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the formation of a team. You had a team. I did have a team, yeah. Um, um, so well, let me set it up and then you can explain your team. Um, sure. So back in the day, one of the things that happened is different pros would gather together and they would sort of form a team. And so you were well known for your team. So let's talk about the creation <laughs> of your team. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, basically it was, it was, it was actually um, when I was in Dallas, like – I, I didn't know like that many people, even though I'd been to a few pro tours and stuff, I, I didn't really know that many people. And so when I saw, um, truck Bowie and John, you, um, like just wait, like the night before I, they were just like friendly faces and we just were like, Hey, you know, let's talk tech and what we're you know thinking of playing. And we just started playing. And it was like the first time that I had actually had other pros that I thought were at a high level. And I was, and, um, you know, it was like, just playing with them towards an event rather than, you know, playing just a regular event. It was like actual practice for an event, weirdly. And uh, so um, that day, like we, I don't know, it was like, they were probably feeling the same way I was, which is like, oh, you know, us at least, at least, you know, I might compete against you on the weekend every time, but now we're competing against everyone else. So let's band together kind of thing. And so, and we also had a bit of a chip on our shoulder because at that time there was like uh, a team called PCL Pacific Coast Legends, which was like the first the first team that had you know Mark Chalice and Mark Justice and these guys. And we were like we and we kind of thought of ourselves as like we played those guys because they were they were all from you know except for Mark Justice, but yeah. they were all from Southern California. And we we felt like we were better than they were. And so we were kind of like, we had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, like, hey, man, let's form a team. Let's be a, the three of us. And, and, and we ended up grabbing Jason Zila. And we're going to be like, you know, we'll, we'll have our own flair to it. That kind of, um, can I say the name of the team? Or is that, uh, is, is that kosher on this podcast? Or, or should I go by uh, the second team name? We, we how about the second team name? <laughs> okay, so the second team name was DKLA. And uh, for those of you out there who remember our first name, um, yeah, you'll know why it's, it's abbreviated there. And so, um, so yeah, so our, our, our team basically, um, and it came out, I think from, um, the tournament reports that like truck and I would write that we had a kind of different, uh, take on what was interesting about the game and what was interesting about the pro tour than I think a lot of people were thinking at that time. And so at the time there was, there was a very like, let's talk about just the games that we played. And, um, and in these tournament reports to me, they always read as like super boring. They were like so boring because it was, it was just how, how interesting is it to read 
you know, a very narrow recap of the game. Well, I, I played, you know, these two white knights and then the guy, you know, played, you know, Necropotence. And, you know, I was like, oh God, you know, I just can't read this. And so what I thought was interesting was that um, there was a whole other life to it of the, 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 the personalities and what you do afterwards or before and the stories of camaraderie that you had with your friends. And especially like as a young man, it's kind of, a, I feel like it's kind of a big thing. And, um, to, to have those friendships and be doing those, you know, and, and, and when I would write about it, it kind of got a little bit of popular response, I guess, because like it was tapping into something that people weren't tapping into at that time and weren't talking about as much, which wasn't the game itself, but the, everything around the game, like the, you know, the, the fun times that you'd have with your friends and all that stuff. And so, um, and, and also with that was, um, can't like, Truck at that time thought magic was kind of like he 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 sort of loved it and loved playing it, loved the game, but he also thought it was like this very like nerdy activity. And so he had a little bit of like kind of like I don't know if self-loathing is the right word or whatever, but he just thought like, oh, this is nerdy niche activity. You know, a part of him wanted to always be, I want to be in the club, you know, hitting on girls and 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 uh, and, and having a good time. But there was part of him that was also like you know, I, I'm drawn to this other thing and I can't, I don't really, I think it's, it's maybe a little too nerdy for what I should be doing. For me, I thought like, there isn't, there isn't in, inherently anything nerdy about it. It was like, to me, I kind of thought, I thought there was like a, a bit of a, of a war for the soul of magic at that time, because it was so new and the pro tour was even newer that what it was like, what was this thing? Like, what, what were we doing? Was it going to be something that's like, like this sort of, nerdy kind of niche activity that people thought of more like D and D or was it going to be this other thing that was like maybe had a little more glamor to it or sexiness where, Hey, you're going and you're visiting these exotic cities and, and traveling and seeing all your friends and that kind of thing. And so for me, I partially, I think my, my writing and stuff was about my Turner reports were about trying to show that side and trying to push it towards what I thought magic could be, which was like, more like looking at it almost as like a lifestyle of like, you know, you're playing this game. You might, you know, if you're at a high level, you might win some money from the pro tour, which is great. And also you, you have this great camaraderie and, and, and friendship um, with, with, you know, your friends and stuff. And, and so, so my efforts there to write articles were in a sense, like trying to do should to show that side of it. Um, and so that led to things like, like when we got to be on uh, MTV and, and stuff like that, like something that would just probably never happen now, you know. Oh, the beach house. Uh, talk, talk about being on the beach house. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually one of the more surreal things of my entire life was, so I, there had been a, um, there had been a uh, invite for me to go to the MTV beach house with three other magic players and do these um, skits. And the other magic players were like very famous at the time, like, like Hammer, uh, Mark Justice, and Mike Long. And when we went, like, I was at least from Southern California, so I knew, I kind of, and I also dressed a little bit, I don't know, more, more like stylishly or whatever. And, but, but like Mark Justice and Mike Long and Hammer were like from colder weather places. And so they all came in like black jeans and black t-shirts and, and kind of um, weren't, weren't really dressed for the MTV Beach House. They were more like dressed for a tournament. But, um, but it was funny where we, so, we go to this MTV beach house. We're shooting these skits. And um, of course the first thing was we had to figure out in the skits, like who won, 
who would win these games because in these mock games they they had written up um, were were a like very unrealistic, but also they they had like me winning two games and Mike winning none or something. And Mike was no no no, we all have to each win one game. And it has to be fair. <laughs> this kind of thing. So um, so then we 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 filmed these sort of skits and. Um, and then it led to two two quick stories I'll tell, which was like why it was the most surreal thing in my entire life was um, uh, the the conversation I actually had with the producer because I was very curious like how did this happen like because this was to me was like this was where it should be going we should be on MTV we should, we should it should be cool like and so I and I and she told me that uh, this story that it still strikes me as something that's like isn't true but like this is what she told me and and it blew my mind was she said that the um that her brother read my tournament reports and thought they were funny and like he and he played magic so he's he told her as a producer at mtv hey you should check this this out this guy's actually pretty funny and you you could you know maybe do something with it so she read the tournament reports, thought we were funny, and actually originally, I guess, had it um, wanted to invite just DKLA as the four people. So yeah. it'd be Mitra, <laughs> Jason Zila, and John Yu. And I guess like wizards, you 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 uh, you 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 guys over there, stop this! And we're like, no, 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 we're not letting we're not letting the four of them be the face of magic. <laughs> it's unfortunate for you guys, bad decision, but you know, yeah. you guys, uh, you can't bat a hundred percent. And instead, you replaced it with just me and three other people. But this was like so surreal to me when she told me that like I was the impetus for this and I and and like and I was like just dumbfounded because it was like to me it was like that anyone anyone liked my turn reports beyond the like you know ten or twenty people I was writing for it was crazy and that and that it actually got us invited to do this thing was kind of crazy. And you can watch if you haven't uh, heard of these or seen these before, you can see some pretty embarrassing uh, skits. Yeah, they're on, on YouTube, YouTube, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then the second quick story was it they 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 um they edited it like very fast and that I think it was the next evening I was at a bar and there was a guy um who like I see him looking up at like behind me and then he t- he like goes hey man is that you and I went what and I like it's kind of a strange question to hear right is that you what does that even you know does that even mean but I turned around there was a TV like right over my head and it was the skit. And the volume was like turned off because it was at a bar, but I could see like this, you know, action yeah. happening with like, I think it was me and Hammer playing. And I was like, it was just a very bizarre thing because you don't ever think like I'm actually going to be on television or something like that. And so, but it was very cool. Very fun experience. Okay. So before we wrap up, cause I'm, I'm almost at my desk. There's one story that I wanted to tell that is a, is a story that it, it means a lot to me. This is one of my favorite stories from back in the pro tour um, that has to do with me and you. I don't know if you remember this or not. We'll see. Um, so one of the things that's interesting is I would see the cards ahead of time because I was making the cards. And sometimes I would go to a pro when the card first came out and i go, what do you think of it? And normally it's something that I thought was up their alley. Like you were known for being very aggressive, especially in limited. And I showed you the card Goblin Bombardment. And your first take on it was you didn't think it was any good. And I played a game with you. I go, well, let's play a limited game and I'll... I'll count how much damage I do with my Goblin Bombardment. And in one game, I did 13 damage to you. And then you said, okay, you're right. I think this is better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I mean, the thing is so funny is it's such your kind of card and it's such, so. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. 
That's funny though. Yeah, I, I don't I don't remember that all. <laughs> I do believe it though because a lot of times, um, uh, like I remember in some invitationals. I don't know if you guys do these anymore, but in some yeah. invitational like all star games, yeah, you, we would yeah. get to play like some cards that we that were before they came out, and um, or I would make them up, <laughs> or yeah, or they're made up ones. And um, I remember that even you know this is like the you know, basically you know sixteen of the best you know probably thirty players in the world, yeah, and. Um, there would often be very large disagreements that would get resolved over the board, like very clearly in one person's favor or, yeah. or the other, because, you know, it's like, oh, those cards are really bad and it's really good or vice versa. Yeah, so it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to tell until you play. It's definitely true. Yeah. One of the things for just a little background on this is in the invitationals, I used to often either make brand new cards or I take existing cards. That I, would, I would change their cost or something about them. And there was, part of it was I was trying to test them and like, you, you don't know this already. Okay, what's your thoughts on this? And some of the pros were very, very good at that, and some of the pros were not good at it. Because um, some of the pros were very intuitive, and some were more like, I practice a lot. And so the ones that were intuitive tended to quicker figure out what was good, and the ones that needed to practice a lot were a little slower at it because it's the first time they had a chance to play with them. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely a difference. And I, I, I would assume this is probably true even until now about people that can kind of figure things out over the board versus like per people that would, they could just drill themselves over and over and over again. Like, like definitely truck was the type that was like very, like he could intuit it. John was the person that would have to like get it drilled into him. But once it was drilled into him, he was like scary how good he was. And so like, um, and it was a big thing like back then, like, like someone like Eric Lauer versus Randy Bueller were like, you know, Randy would play at a better level if he knew the cards, but if he didn't know the cards back then, he'd play at a worse level, you know, yeah. compared to like Eric Lauer, you know, his teammates. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny. Uh, Randy played at one of the Invitationals, and, like, Randy was well known for the way he got good is he would study something, and that when you threw brand new things that he had no chance with, it would take him a little while, you know, and he struggled a little bit with that because it didn't play to his strength as a player. Um, yeah, for sure. Which invitational did you go to? I went to a couple actually. Okay. Um, I went to the first one was actually Brazil and in Rio. Okay. Funny one where a quick story with that. Like so, um, J Jason Zila was supposed to be uh, my teammate and he was yeah. going to be my room, you know, at the event. And then he ended up like having an issue with his family and couldn't go. And so they, I guess, there was very little hotel space, and so they actually said, "Okay, well, this this guy Scaffolias is going to be staying with you." And I didn't, I didn't know who Scaffolias <laughs> was, and uh, I, I interviewed so, Scaff a, a few weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, I listened to that one, and and then Scaff, um, like, it was funny because I knew all these sort of sorted stories about uh, the players that he didn't know about, and he knew all the sort of behind the scenes stories of Wizards of the Coast people, and so literally we had just met. And that night, I think I got like an hour or two of sleep because we were up till like, you know, six in the morning, just literally <laughs> telling stories back and forth about all these people that we kind of knew a little bit about, but we didn't get to know the sort of behind the scenes stuff. So oh, that's cool. Funny. Yeah, it's a cool guy. So um, anyway, I, I, I noticed that I'm, I'm arriving at my desk. So uh, we need to wrap up. Any final thoughts before I, I, uh, I get to my get to work? Um, no, no, it was fun. It was fun. There's so much to talk about. This old age stuff could go on for quite a while, but no, it was fun to be on. Thanks for having me. So anyway, guys, I'm at my desk, so we all know what that means. This is the end of my end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I want to thank you, Brian, for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. And guys, I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.